You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. The book of Acts, chapter number 17 this morning. And uh, I want to share just some thoughts with you on my heart. And I want to say to you today that there's an answer to the perplexity that we're facing today. Uh, you know, uh, with everything going on, it's really a time for faith and not a time for fear. It's a time for action and not a time for anger. It's a time to reach out, not to riot. Amen? I say that because, you know, with, with, I think people are on one side or the other, many people, uh, you are either, there's a lot of people that are very fearful of what's going on. There's other people that, uh, now there's a good anger that can motivate us to do uh, good things and right things, uh, but it's not time that we pick up a brick, amen? It's time we pick up a Bible as God's people. And, uh, and then there's others that are saying, well, preacher, I don't know because I'm just kind of insulating, isolating myself. Uh, you know, I've tried to get involved. I've tried to uh, be a part of what's going on in this world, uh, but I feel like I'm frustrated because of it. And then people just kind of want to uh, just kind of hide out in their churches or hide out in their religious life now and forget about the world around them. But folks, that's not what we need to do either. It's not time to insulate. It's not time to isolate, but it's time to recreate our focus and our determination to that which God has called us to do. Again, whether it's fear, anger, or a combination of the two, I want to say I get it. Whether you're fearful, whether you're angry, or whether you're just as a result of that or trying to isolate, I get it. But at the same time, I mean, you think about what we've gone through. Uh, things that a lot of people are fearful of. Any patriots out there today? Anybody love their country? Uh, I love my country. I love the history of my country. I appreciate seeing the hand of God in the, in the working of our country. But man, there's a lot of people that it's, it's fearful. Uh, there's a fear. Have we lost our country? There's the fear. Have we lost our freedom? See, there's a major problem at the risk of getting ahead of myself when... When you begin to deny the existence of God Almighty and that our rights come from God, uh, where's the default place that our rights come from if they don't come from God? The government. Our rights then come from the government, and then they're able to dictate what we are able to do and not to do and so forth. So there's people have a fear and an anger about a loss of freedom, the loss of America as we know it. Hey, how about this? Fear for the generation to come. You think about your kids, you think about your grandkids. I, I look around and uh, there's not as uh, many, you know, Brother David was uh, kind of a, being willing to apologize for the noise little David was going to be making, uh, but we've got a lot of our other noisemakers not here today, but I like when our noisemakers are here, amen? I love hearing the little kids and I love hearing the laughs and the cries and, and all that goes on with it. We're so blessed with so many young families. Uh, but you know, people look around, is there hope for these kids? Is there hope for Ava? Yes, absolutely there is, amen? But I understand it's, it's, it's logical to allow, you know, those fears and worries to come in. With all that's going on, it's no wonder that people are left 
with heads spinning, trying to figure out how to move forward. How to move forward. And that's really going to be the title of my message today. I believe maybe it'd be a good theme for 2021, moving forward, moving ahead, because we are, we're trying to figure out how do we move forward? Where do we go from here? Should we give up? Should we give in? Should we rise up? Church, I'm glad that I can look at you all today and boldly proclaim that I have the answers today to everything that's going on. And I'm glad that I can tell you today on the authority of God's Word that everything's going to be all right. Now, whether what everything's going to be all right looks like what you think it's going to look like or not is one thing, but the reason I can boldly tell you that is the Bible says in Psalm 47, verse 8, God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of His holiness. I can look at you today and I can have joy in my heart and I can have boldness in my stand because I know that my God is still on the throne. Come what may, no matter what happens, there's things that happen that we understand. There's a lot that happens that we don't understand, but I want you to mark it down right now. Your God and my God is on the throne. He's still in control. Therefore, we can move forward with confidence. My God is not confused today. My God is not confused. He is not fearful. God's steady hand is on the rudder of time and eternity. And I'm telling you, His hand is steady on the rudder as we head into this new year and He will guide us safely through this year. It's good news. He's on the throne. So therefore, there's really no time for us to be fearful. There's really no time for us to be discouraged. Church, it's time with, I mean, absolute intrepidation to move forward. We, by the grace of God, will not retreat, church. We will not surrender. We will not, I believe today that we will be worthy of this great hour. I believe that you and I have been put here for such a time as this. And yes, we look around and we say, man, it seems so much greater than us. And it very well may be, but it's not too great for my God. See, you don't want to make the mistake of uh, thinking about and looking about, telling yourself, telling everyone else how big our problems are. We, remember, need to quit telling God how big our problems are and start telling our problems how big our God is. Amen? I don't understand, but my God's on the throne. Amen? He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's got your best interest at heart. Oh, my friend, listen today. He is in control. We will stand and rise and be worthy of this great hour. We will be victorious. We will boldly, lovingly, and joyfully, and I believe those are important, boldly, lovingly, joyfully, uh, pardon my weird crack in my voice today, uh, we will boldly, lovingly, and joyfully stand amidst uh, in a world of political correctness, 
cultural Marxism, the cancel culture with, uh, in which we live, Folks, it's important that we stand. Why? Because the kids, the children that I mentioned earlier, whether it's the ones that are in diapers or whether it's some of these uh, teens up on the front row or whoever else it may be, folks, they need to know their identity. They need to know who they are in Christ. They need to know the truth about the, the generation coming up needs to know the truth about who they are about where they come from, and about why they are here. And the only way they're going to know that is if we t t get involved, if we make it a point to stand and make a difference. Moving forward. See, moving forward, that means you're doing something, amen? It's not just saying, well, I guess that's it. We need to stand for the truth. Jesus still said in John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, with all that being said, you said, preacher, you said you had answers. Well, I believe that the answer is this. What is the way forward, you're asking today? And I believe the answer to moving forward is by looking back. I believe it's a look back and a reminder of the orders that we received as the, as the New Testament church from our heavenly commander, a job that we have to do. I believe the answers for the 21st century church are found by looking at the 1st century church. And if you would, just for a moment, I, I mentioned Acts chapter, number, chapter 17, verse number 6. And I want to share that verse with you, the Acts 17, verse 6. And I want to be preaching a topical message throughout the book of Acts today, especially in the earlier chapters, if you'll bear with me today. But in Acts chapter number 17, there was a small group of Christians that, were led, that was led by the Apostle Paul that entered into the city of Thessalonica. And as they entered into the city, the rulers of the city said what we find there in Acts 17, verse 6. These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. These that have turned the world upside down have come hither also. See, the reason I say I believe the answers for the 21st century church are found in the 1st century church is that we still have a responsibility. We still have the power and the ability to turn the world upside down. Amen. Now, we would argue that, though, wouldn't we? I mean, it's not that the, it's not that the church was turning the world upside down. They were turning it right side up, weren't they? But it seemed upside down to them. But now, think about it for a moment. Let's go back to the context and remember what was going on here in this first century church. How did a group of social nobodies turn the world upside down? I want to think just a moment for about a few of the things that the first century church did not have. I want to think, and you could probably add to this list, you could add many things to the list that the first century church did not have. <laughs> you could uh, uh, add to that list, you could uh, add to the list of the things that they did have, and then I also want to focus on what they did. How did a group of social nobodies turn the world upside down? Well, I'll tell you some things they didn't have. Number one, they did not have influence. 
They did not have influence as in a great cultural influence. The people that made up the first century church, especially the, the early part of the first century church that we read about here in the book of Acts, was made up of Jews, slaves, and women. And, uh, and if you are offended as a woman by being put into the category of socially insignificant, uh, you should be. However, that was the truth of the Roman Empire. See, slaves made up over half the Roman Empire. Slaves were deemed as nothing more than property. They were not looked at as people. They were looked at as property. Uh, they had an extremely low standing in society. Women in the Roman culture were slightly above that. Slightly above that. Women had very little importance. A woman's testimony, for instance, did not matter in a Roman court. They're not interested in it. Uh, uh, women did not have rights, really. But the early church, you think about it, was made up of Jews, slaves, and women. So they didn't have influence. Number two, they did not have government rights. They didn't have government rights. This initial group of believers, they were not Roman citizens. They did not have rights. Yes, they may have had an initial right to gather that the government allowed them. But remember, since the government was the one given the rights, when they began not to appreciate what the church was gathering for, they took those rights away. So they didn't have rights. They certainly didn't have a constitution or a bill of rights like we have. And we understand that those are all under assault in our country. But the point that I'm trying to make is, with or without governmental rights, this church turned the world upside down. With or without great influence. I say that because you may be sitting there today saying, okay, you're talking about making a difference. You're talking about changing the world. Who are you talking to exactly? You can't be talking to me. Because of my station in life, because of either my age, whether too young or too old, whether my position, whether it's insignificant, and you think, well, I don't even hardly get out. You know, I'm a stay-at-home mom, or I'm a, I, I'm a retired uh, person that doesn't really, especially in this, this day and age, do a whole lot. Well, folks, I'm telling you, it's not about who you are. <laughs> it's about who you know. Amen. Amen. And so, the in, when I say they have no influence, they didn't have a great social type of influence, but I'll tell you something they did have. They had influence among those around them, just like you do. See, you have influence on people that I will never perhaps have the opportunity to have influence on. You do. And it's the, it, it, it's, it's the power of one person at a time being saved that was able to turn the world upside down as they were accused of doing. Folks, you follow the history of the early church. They didn't have influence. They didn't have governmental rights. Therefore, they did not have protection. So as the church exercised their unalienable rights that are given by God, they were met with opposition and persecution. They were met with, they began to actually be jailed, to be beaten, to be killed. Now, what did that do for the church? It didn't stop the church, amen? The church grew. And uh, see, we, we live in a time where we have this idea, uh, especially moving forward in America, when we see that, that we live in a, a world where Jesus said, of course, that if they hate you, he said, they hated me, therefore they're going to hate you. 
and we can see some of the rumblings and some of the ideas. I'm not being paranoid here, but I'm just being factual that there is um, not a lot of love for Christians today. Not a lot of love for Christianity and biblical teaching today. Uh, we're looked at as enemies. We're, we are looked at, of all things, to me it's just so ironic, that we are looked at as hate mongers. Because we preach against sin all while loving people absolutely to death. Amen? But just because we happen to stand against sin, which is destroying people's lives, how cruel... You know, that's like getting mad at a doctor that hates cancer, right? Uh, I mean, how can you do that? I mean, oh, well, he gave me chemotherapy and made me sick. Yeah, but there's a purpose there. There's a greater good. And, uh, and I'm just saying that, it's a, that, that we live in that kind of world. And so people are thinking to themselves, oh, man, what happens when the government starts coming after the church? What are we going to do then? I'll tell you what we're going to do then. We're going to keep on going. You know, I mean, listen, the, the government can, I mean, under laws right now, they can't necessarily, but I'm saying our building can be taken away. They can begin to restrict all these different rights. But here's the point, that the church has always just kept going. They jail them. They just keep preaching. I, I remember, I, I love the story. I believe it was Obadiah Holmes in Virginia. And we don't realize that there was persecution in early uh, Virginia. Uh, man, I'm telling you, I, I wish, I, I, I get these things and then I, uh, that I don't plan to say, and I start saying them, uh, but I believe it's Obadiah Holmes. But regardless, there was a preacher, matter of fact, I almost know now that's not Obadiah Holmes, but there was a preacher that was jailed in Virginia for preaching without a license. See, the Bill of Rights was really important introduction to our country because it gave us the right, because even though there were people that were fleeing one state church, they were trying to uh, install other state churches. The problem with state churches is if the state is the one running the church, something's out of whack right there, right? Because who's the head of the church? Christ is the head of the church. And so these churches, I mean, and listen, some of them honestly started, some of the Protestants especially, they started with very good motives. But their idea was still, we need to have a state church. And uh, it was just a mistake. And that's why when the Bible talks about having a separation of church and state, it's or no, not the Bible, I'm sorry, but when Jefferson wrote that in his letters and there was reference to that in early America, it was just saying that, number one, really the reference was to the state not being able to tell churches, a state-run church not being able to tell other churches what they can do, or as, as, as the state in general being able to tell churches what they can do. But the point that I'm trying to get to is this. This, this, this preacher before the Bill of Rights and before all of these uh, were able to go into place, this preacher was preaching without a license. Therefore, he was jailed. Many Christians were jailed and beaten in early America uh, that were preaching the Bible. And uh, this man would, uh, was put into jail, but still the, they put the pastor in jail. And, the, and I believe it was the Culpeper County Jail, but they put the pastor in the jail, and the, but, but the congregation, they knew their pastor was in the jail, and it was an old-style jail with just bars for windows. So guess what, the, well, guess what the church did on the first Sunday morning? They came to the jail, and, uh, and they signified that they were there. And when he was able to look out and see that they were there, he begins preaching. So he preaches to the church through those, uh, through those, uh, through those bars. 
Well, they don't stop the people from coming or can't stop the people from coming. So finally what they decided to do is they started having some of the, uh, some of the policemen ride their horses and trying to break up the crowd. But they come back the next Sunday anyway. And so finally they actually built a wall to have a division to where the pastor wouldn't be able to see the people. That'll fix it. So what did the church do? The church shows up the next Sunday morning with a big old stick with a flag on top of it and waves it so the preacher can see that we're here and starts preaching. Amen? I mean, listen, and, and, and they say that even uh, they got to the point that he was a fiery preacher and he would preach through the bars, uh, those, those jail bars, those prison bars to the people, and that they'd actually get to the point to where they would uh, have, they'd have a guard out there that would take and try to slash and cut as he would stick his arms out doing everything they could, but what happened? He preached on. And, and the, the point that I'm trying to make is that God's people have always gone on. Time and time again, they'll kill the preachers. They'll jail them. But you know what happens? People do not stop. Because um, the church, I mean, listen, with rights or protection or not, folks, which I'm glad that we've been so blessed with in our country, but this is what we've seen in our country. Thank, thank God to the Bill of Rights and what is influence most of the so many other places in the world has been a very brief reprieve as far as the history of the church is concerned because the church has almost always functioned without political rights and without political protection they've almost always gone on without these things so what those are a few things they didn't have but i want to show you a few things and try to encourage you on some things they did have some things they did have. So go back over with me to the uh, book of Acts if you're there. Look in chapter number one. Number one, folks, they had the power of the Spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ said this, because this is the same thing that we have today. How did they turn the world upside down? How is this the answer to moving forward? Because, folks, this is the same power that you and I have today. This is the same power the church has today. Acts chapter one, verse eight. Right now, I'll just read the first part of it. The Bible says, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Folks, they had the power of the Spirit of God. In Acts chapter number 2, when they received the Holy Ghost of God, in Acts chapter number 2, these unlearned people, these people, many of them fearful, they were all filled with the power of the Holy Ghost of God, which is just the, the, the presence of God, the Spirit of God coming into them as, they, uh, as, as the church is launched here. In Acts chapter number 2, these people begin to get up and the power of God began to work. And these men, as a sign, especially for the unbelieving Jews, these men actually begin to get up and preach in the languages of many of the foreign visitors that were there for the Feast of Pentecost. And they were amazed, saying, I thought these were Galileans, but we, we hear them speaking our language. And there was a mighty thing that took place there in Acts chapter number 2. Now, what do we have today? We have that same, we have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same power to preach and to proclaim, to live, so that we might make a difference in a world around us. The Bible says, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. What gives people the ability to stand? What gives people the ability to continue to live? Folks, it's the power of God's Holy Spirit. Because you may be sitting there today and saying, well, man, I don't know if I can do it, preacher. 
I don't know. Uh, how, how are we going to do it? I'll tell you how we're going to do it. We're going to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. It's not in your own ability. It's in God's ability. It's in His power. And that's exactly what happened there, folks. I mean, at the, the moment that we start depending on ourselves, we're in a mess anyway. But that sometimes is one of the sad side effects of being as blessed as we are sometimes. If we're not careful, we just start depending on ourselves, depending on all the blessings that we ought to be thankful for, and we forget that without the power of God, it's all in vain. It's all in vain. Folks, they had the power of the Spirit of God. But not only that, they had prayer. Notice Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. They were praying together. They had prayer. They, they continued with prayer. Folks, I'm telling you, we don't pray to make ourselves feel better. We pray because God works when we pray. Amen? Pray. I mean, you don't believe that? You begin to pray. You think about it today. One of the, one of the reasons that you, if you're fearful today, if you're worried today, I dare say one of the reasons may very well be that you're not praying. You say, oh, no, no, I'm praying. I'm so worried. I'm, I'm worried that I'm praying a lot. No, no, no. See, what we do if we're not careful is we're not really praying. Again, it's kind of like I said earlier. We go and we basically just say, tell God all what's wrong. But the, ver the, the place that prayer starts is, like Jesus said, you know, in the model prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The very first step in prayer from a biblical model is that of praise and adoration. You know, that's why the, why the Bible says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Folks, real prayer starts with adoration and praise. Otherwise, the reason I say otherwise, how much are we really praying? We may be praying, but we're not praying correctly. Why? Because we get all these big burdens on our heart and everything is so big and what we do a lot of times is we just go and we rehearse those things to God. But what we need to do first before we rehearse those things to God, the things that are, we need to bring our burdens to the Lord. We need to bring our cares and concerns. But before we do that, we need to remind ourselves, Lord, I've got some things weighing on me, but God, first of all, I want to thank you for your greatness. I want to thank you for your power. See, remind yourself, he's the creator. I want to thank you that you're on the throne. I want to thank you that although I don't know what's going on, you know what's going on. And Lord, while I'm at it, I want to thank you that you loved me enough to go to the cross for me, to die for me, to shed your blood, to rise again the third day so that I might be saved. I know you're coming back again. And no matter what happens in this life, I thank you that, God, I am on my way to heaven. Now, here's what I'm telling you. When you begin to remind yourself how big your God is, now it puts your problems into perspective. And now you can pray with faith, believing, instead of just being just as stressed out after you prayed as you were when you uh, started praying. 
because you didn't take time to get things into perspective. But they prayed, and they prayed together. Wednesday night, we're going to have a time of prayer together. Moving forward in this year, I'd like to have some additional times to where we just get together and pray and see God work and see God move. You want to see God do something? Have you prayed about it? You want to see God save somebody? Have you called their name out before the Lord? I mean, do it, man, and watch God work, all right? So they had the power of God. They had prayer. What I'm telling you is, yes, this will make a difference in our day and age. They had power. They had prayer. Folks, they had each other. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The Bible says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Notice verse 46. And they, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They had each other. Now, the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 25, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. The book of Hebrews was written to a people that were going through a tough time. They were going through persecution. They were going through difficulties. And some of the people in the midst of these difficulties got away from church. They got out of church. See, it wasn't exciting as, uh, exciting as it was fearful. These people were losing their houses. They were, they, they were being, going through such difficult times. So there were some people that began to forsake the church and think the church wasn't all that important. But I want to tell you, folks, God has put the church here for such a time as these. Amen? He has. He's put it here for good times and for bad times. And we're not, we're not talking about the building, but we gather here as the church, right? We can go from house to house as the church. We can do a lot because you're the church. We gather here, and it's going to be tempting. You're going to have times when you get overwhelmed. You're going to have times when it's difficult. And you're not going to feel like coming to church. See, there's some people, uh, they, 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 they get tied into this health and prosperity gospel that if you come to church, if you serve the Lord, everything's going to be good. You're going to be wealthy. You're going to be healthy. Everything's going to be all good. Well, that's not necessarily so. But I'm telling you what, you come, they had each other. And folks, I'm glad today that we have each other. No matter what we face, be it good, be it terrible, I'm telling you, we have each other. We need to stand for each other. We need to love one another, pray for one another, look out for one another. I mean, edify one another. The Bible says there in the verse I quoted a moment ago, exhorting one another, trying to fire each other up, trying to keep each other encouraged, man. Listen, we have each other. It's a privilege, folks, to fight. I mean, together we are warriors. And again, I believe that we will rise and we can rise and be worthy of this historic hour. We will not acquiesce, for it is together as the church in unity. Together we will prevail. Together. You don't go off separately. You don't go at it on your own. Folks, we don't get further apart. We come closer together. They had each other. They had the parchments. I, uh, they had the Word of God. 
Folks, I'm glad for the Word of God. It's relevant today. I mean, get in the Word, grow in the Word, because the Word of God has got the answers to what we're facing today. The Bible says that we should be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh of the hope that's within us. We need to have an answer, and the Word of God has the answers. Folks, they had, uh, the, they had a proclamation. The Bible says in Acts 8, 35, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same Scripture and preached unto him Jesus. One of the things you'll see time and time again is the, 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 the proclamation of the early church was Jesus Christ. Brother David just mentioned it a moment ago. Folks, he's not going out to try to proclaim that you need to become a, a Baptist. He's going, out and become, he's going out and preaching Jesus Christ that you need Jesus. Amen? He died on the cross for your sins. He rose again the third day so that you might be saved. Come to him today. That's the message he's proclaiming. That's the message they proclaim. That's the message we proclaim. Which leads me to, I guess, my last point that I'll share with you today. The things that they did have is the same things that we have, and that is a purpose. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, I, I give you the first part of it. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And what else did he add to that? And ye shall be witnesses unto me. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. And folks, I'm telling you, we still have a purpose. This early, the first century church, they, they did what we need to do. They looked up, they reached out, and they went forward. And that's what we need to do. That's the answer. What are we going to do? We need to look up, we need to reach out, and we need to move forward. We just need to keep on going. Keep on working. Keep on growing in Christ. Keep on loving people. I mean, because, see, one of the things that we've got to guard against today is division. Right? Within the church, even. There's Christians, I mean, uh, there's Christians that, you know, we, we look at some of these galvanizing issues that are going on in our country and that has gone on in recent days. And people come out, out on different sides of them. Somebody over here says, well, you know, I think that we just need to, uh, you know, quit the fussing, quit the fighting. We just need to accept our president and vice president, and, you know, we just need to hush. And then there's somebody over here saying, what are you talking about? You know, and there's two very opposing sides to these things, aren't there? Among Christians. But those aren't the things we're going to divide over. It's, I mean, it's okay to have some of these conversations, but I tell you, God forbid that we would ever allow something like that to bring division within the church. Amen. I mean, that's, that, God forbid. I mean, because we have a greater goal. We have a greater purpose, and that purpose is Christ. Amen. I mean, in the big picture, I mean, that's what really matters because uh, I think about this, our purpose. They looked up, they reached out, they went forward. Uh, again, it's not time to insulate and isolate, but it's time to engage. But we've got to remember something else, church. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. It really isn't. Yes, I understand Satan uses flesh and blood, but ultimately our battle is not with flesh and blood. I mean, our battle is with spiritual wickedness in high places, with Satan himself. There's a greater battle that we need to be engaged in. 
I'm not telling you not to be involved in the process. I believe that a part of our purpose, I mean, you think about it. I'm an American and I'm a Christian. Those two are not the same thing. You can be an American and not be a Christian. You can be a Christian and not be an American. But as a Christian American, I believe the place where these two come together from a scriptural standpoint, I believe these identities cross with the call for you and I as American citizens to be salt and light. Salt and light. What's that mean? That we affect the culture that we're in. I mean, listen, so I am not telling people to get out of the political process. We need more people in the political process. But at the same time, we've got to understand the church is not a political movement. We're a spiritual movement. I mean, my friend, I'm not out trying to win political battles. I'm trying to win souls. Amen? Amen? And uh, you, you think about this early church. The fact of the matter is they weren't political, but they changed the world. And they changed policy. They changed politics. See, they, 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 they did have purpose. And you and I, I'm telling you, you have a purpose today. They spoke God's word with boldness over and over again. So we see what they didn't have, we see what they had, and then we've already stated what they did. They turned the world upside down. We, by God's grace, church, let's move forward.